Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Last week, there was a congressional hearing. This was the first hearing ever for the House Agriculture Committee on USDA discrimination for farmers of color, particularly Black farmers. Welcome, and I want to thank everyone for joining us in today's hearings. And it was a really big priority, largely pushed by Representative David Scott from Georgia, who also happens to be the first African-American to chair the committee. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an historic hearing. There has been a huge push from the Biden administration, from the public, from a lot of folks in general, to address equity and inequality in the agriculture sector. You know, my experience of it is, is it has, nothing hasn't changed since the past. And that includes farmers of color who have had decades-long struggle with USDA as they try to get loans, as they try to get access to programs that can help their operations stay afloat. Um, here, my granddaddy and uh, older people talk about farming back in the day and how they wasn't able to access um, land and equipment. I'm going through that personally myself. And so this was a first step in trying to see what Congress can do about that. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... My name is Jimena Bustillo, and I am a legislative reporter at Politico. Jimena Bustillo on how, after decades of discrimination, the fight for racial justice in farming has taken center stage in Washington. Let's go back to 1920. Black farmers owned 14% of all farms in 1920, and today they only own up to about 1.6%, according to the U.S. Ag Census. Wow, that is a massive difference. Yeah, another big number to kind of show the decline is that in 1920, there were nearly 1 million Black farmers in the U.S., and today there are fewer than 50,000. So in the 20s, there's just this this big number, and now it's totally different. I know a lot's happened since then, but, like, what's behind that drop. There are a lot of reasons for this. Of course, there has been a decline in all farms and in all ag land, Mm -hmm. largely due to consolidation. But what makes the drop unique is that in almost every state that you look at, there's a quicker decline of farmers of color and their land, largely because they weren't able to get access to credit. They weren't able to get access to equipment programs, um, or even engage with their communities, with their local county committee offices that connect them with USDA. Uh, Federally funded farm programs, they were uh, put out there to give small and middle-sized farmers loans, to support farms, uh, to keep them going through bad economic times. They systematically disenfranchised and also discriminated against black farmers. Because of discrimination because they were never able to get leadership positions. And often uh, these local USDA programs were used as uh, bully pulpits or, or forces to actually push 
black farmers off their land. And that is going to result in you having a steeper decline because you don't have the resources, you don't have the connections, you don't have that upper hand that other farmers do. How many times is it going to take for the United States Department of Agriculture to know that we mean business and we're not going to stop until they get off the dime? A key moment came in 1999 when the Pigford versus Glickman class action suit for Black and African American farmers was seen as this huge success. Several years ago, the Obama administration announced a $1.25 billion settlement to resolve charges by thousands of black farmers who say that for decades, the Agriculture Department discriminated against them in loan programs. Because farmers, black farmers, had finally proven that there was discrimination. But many advocates will tell you that that lawsuit was actually a very big failure because they were promised debt relief and not all of them got that. Some of them were promised a $50,000 payment and not all of them received that. Now, the USDA did admit in the Pickford case that it has a history of discrimination against black farmers. That admission and subsequent settlement did not bring about any systemic changes and left in place many of the individuals who perpetrated the racism and discrimination. And many farmers were not able to even sign on to the class action to become claimants because of very restrictive deadlines and lack of communication. So many will tell you that they left the lawsuit in more debt than when they actually began. Mm. And that's not the only lawsuit. There have been lawsuits from Native American farmers. There have been class action suits from Latino farmers. So we can see that this has been a widespread issue for many, many years that allegedly gets solved, but nothing within the department actually ever changes to address those issues. So reading your reporting on all of this, it seems like this is an issue that has sort of been going under the radar of national politics, or at least presidential politics, until this last presidential cycle, when you really had it sort of coming to the forefront of the campaign. Um, Can you just tell me a little bit about how that happened? Yeah, this was the first election where a lot of farmers told me that they saw a presidential nominee and even other presidential candidates taking a very proactive step to include addressing this discrimination from USDA and a lack of access to all the aforementioned items, programs, loans, credit, etc. That largely began with Elizabeth Warren. Corruption head on. Part two. We gotta make some structural change in this economy. And I, and I want you to think of it in terms of structure. A group of farmers reached out to her, different organizations representing farmers of color sat down with her, and she included a lot of their recommendations into her platform. And so did Senator Bernie Sanders. Under Bernie Sanders' administration, we are gonna change that formula. And subsidies, federal aid, will go to the farmers who need it the most the farmers who are doing the most important work, and that is not factory farms. So we're going to change that formula. After they both dropped out, a lot of groups turned to the Biden campaign and had meetings with them, held roundtables as a way to reach out to rural communities, reach out to rural communities of color, uh, and kind of bring in that vote a little bit as well. So flash forward to November. Obviously, Biden wins the election. And 
Despite being one of those candidates who embraced racial justice in farming on the campaign trail, he makes this decision that some of the advocates you've spoken to in your reporting weren't happy about. Breaking news, the Associated Press now reports President-elect Joe Biden has chosen Tom Vilsack to be the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. Vilsack, a former Iowa governor, has already served as Agriculture Secretary for eight years under the Obama administration. Why were advocates unhappy with Vilsack's nomination to head the Agriculture Department again? Even before Vilsack was picked, a lot of groups were saying, we hear this might be coming, we don't want it, we want nothing to do with Vilsack. And that's largely because when he was Ag Secretary under Obama, he had constantly said that he was going to address these issues and never really did. And in fact, it got even worse because a report came out by the counter that instead showed that his USDA had manipulated and inflated numbers to make it seem as if there was a massive increase in farmers of color when really there wasn't. Mm. Despite the frustration surrounding Vilsack's nomination, though, the Biden administration has taken steps that advocates have celebrated, including direct payments to farmers of color in the $1.9 trillion relief package that was just signed into law, right? Yes. The American Rescue Plan includes what's an estimated going to be about $4 billion in direct payments to farmers of color for debt relief. They're still kind of working out how that's going to look like, but it could be direct payment as just a payment as well. And then it also includes another $1 billion to help fund programs at USDA, increase outreach. Have we seen any major criticism of these specific farming measures? Because the package did end up making it through Congress with no Republican support, right? Yeah. Even with just the payments for the farmers of color in the American Rescue Plan, you know, those were called reparations. If you're socially disadvantaged, if you're African-American, some other minority, but if you're a white person, if you're a white woman, no forgiveness as reparations. What does that got to do with COVID? Those have been questioned because they use the 1990 definition of, quote, socially disadvantaged farmer, which doesn't include white women. So in the current definition of socially disadvantaged farmer, that also includes white women. Um, But the 1990s definition doesn't do that. So you have Republicans saying, well, this is now discrimination on the basis of sex or gender, perhaps. And then there's also in part the issue that we don't really know how many payments are going to be given out. There are estimates. There's uh, projected $4 billion, but it could be more or it could be less. The bill doesn't allocate money for that portion of the legislation. So there's a lot of unknown as to how this is going to happen. And I think that the right is also taking advantage of that as well. Given those unknowns, the pushback we've seen, the fact that advocates didn't get the head of USDA that they wanted, but also the fact that this was included in the relief package, the fact that you mentioned David Scott is now the first black chair of the Agriculture Committee, are advocates hopeful that some of the damage that's occurred at USDA, the drop in the number of black farmers in the U.S. over the past century, that it can somehow be undone? I think a lot of advocates are very hopeful, but some say, you know, it's USDA. And when dealing with USDA, we don't expect anything great or there needs to be 
direct personnel change. There needs to be review of how programs are given out, who has access to them, why are folks not applying if they're not applying, or why are folks being denied if they're being denied, and really getting at what those root causes are to increase the accessibility to these programs and also to the department. So there's definitely a lot of skepticism still. There's hope, but cautious hope. Jimena Bastillo, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. Also today, Representative Judy Chu says she's concerned that the suspect in the killings of eight people, including six women of Asian descent in Georgia, will not be charged with a hate crime. In an interview with NBC over the weekend, Chu called on the Justice Department to provide resources and fully investigate after expressing doubt that local authorities would handle the shootings as a hate crime. According to the Associated Press, so far, federal investigators have not found evidence that would meet the high bar to charge the suspect with a hate crime. And Senator Susan Collins has avoided censure from her state party after voting to convict former President Trump in his most recent impeachment trial. Over the weekend, the main Republican Party voted 41 to 19 against censuring her, saving her from the fate of other Republicans, including Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy, North Carolina Senator Richard Burr, and Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney. In a statement, Collins wrote that the vote in her favor is, quote, a testament to the Republican Party's big tent philosophy that respects different views but unites around core principles. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to help us out, leave a rating and review and tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.